Oh, all right. Woo! Ah, that'll get us going. You know, before uh, a war begins, an uprising like we've been seeing playing out in uh, different parts of the world, like Ukraine and Israel, there has been an un underlying current of social unrest that leads to skirmishes and over time can lead to conflict and like we're seeing outright war. So I want to challenge you today that we as Christ followers are in such a skirmish. We're in a conflict that is leading to what the Bible calls Armageddon. Armageddon, the beginning of the end. Or should I say, it's the end to a new beginning. So I want to challenge you it's already begun. People are saying, what about this Armageddon? It's already begun. We are in a cultural Armageddon right now. And the Antichrist we are facing is not an individual at this point, but it's the global society at large. It's the culture of the world, which is in direct opposite to the kingdom of God. Because, you know, it, it began, you know, with Jesus Christ when he was born. He came to take the world back, to free it from the father of lies, Satan, Lucifer. The Antichrist is the right-hand man of the father of lies. And Christ, we all know, is truth. He commanded us to be in the world, but not of the world. And why? Because the world is what? It's full of sin. Our biggest enemy, listen, our biggest enemy is not the Antichrist or Satan. It's sin. The whole reason Armageddon is going to take place is because of sin. You've got to stop and think about this. The only reason it's going to happen is deceptive power. Its allure has infiltrated the hearts of God's people. Jeff's been talking about this for weeks now. You remember he has the puppet master, and Satan's up there, and he's pulling the strings on individuals who are receptive to the voice of Satan and start doing the things that we all know are sinful and wrong. Look at a lot of it, it's, it, it, it's the big lie. It's the big lie where no truth exists. A world society has been infected by this. They're infected with, you know, it's, they, they, everybody wants to say, you know what, it's my self-worth and our security and our satisfaction is wrapped up in things where it's, it's all about us. Our culture has been infiltrated and sin is the weapon of choice for the enemy. I really want you to see this. It's his nuclear weapon that devastates lives. It's exceedingly more destructive than any other weapon. Sin is the anti to Christ. Let history teach us. God did not create Sodom and Gomorrah. Man and its sinful desires did. But what happened to those cities? They got destroyed, right? The enemy's plan, if you think this is so... The enemy's plan is to attack within, capture the hearts and minds of our children, and when they are reliant on the lies of the world, you know what you do? When they believe this and they're on it, you take it away from them. You take away all their security and hope. It takes away and replaces it with anxiety and fear. What a great plan. You can see it happening. I mean, let's just look at the current world situation. I'm going to start with America. Well, we've got current political situation. Another election again coming. Random shootings. 
racial, still got racial unrest, abortion, right to life, economic roller coaster, morality lines on my right have been blurred like they never have before. And then we got the international tribulation. Israel, Ukraine, Russia, China, Iran, Afghanistan, Egypt, Syria, North Korea. We are just, and I know you all know this, but we're just one mistake, just one misstep from any of these countries. It's total annihilation. I read if this was to happen, it said within five days, a billion people would be dead. Friends, God loves us. God's love for us is immeasurable. But God hates sin. He hates it. He can't stand to see what it does to you and me. He can't stand it. He hates it. He hates sin so much he sent his own son, okay, to show and teach and die so we could be freed from his destructive power. But sometimes we need to be disciplined to get our attention, to break the hold of sin's destructive force. You know, it, what I've learned over the years serving the Lord is that many Christians struggle with this truth that God disciplines and ultimately will judge us. Our culture does not associate love with pain or discomfort. To even suggest that God disciplines people today invites disdain from people, even those within the church. I mean, friends, today, Christians, I believe this, have lost their fear of God. They just lost, they don't, they don't fear him. People no, no longer believe that God reprimands his people. Many think the God of judgment and wrath is only in the Old Testament. You know, you read those stories, that's where you think it is. They believe the God of the New Testament is set apart by love and grace. Can I just want to tell you, that that's, a, that's a, a skewed understanding of Scripture. God would not be loving if he did not despise those things that rob us, his kids, of life. Our Father hates sin. He knows every, one, every ounce of suffering that each and every one of you and myself have endured because of sin. And I'm going to tell you something. God's not going to tolerate it. God is supreme, and he's going to do what he wants to do. It's a little unnerving. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. If I complain all I want, and I can you know, just be complaining, I can be defiant as I want, and I can be as diplomatic as I want with God, but God is going to do what God's going to do. Okay, God is God, and we are not. Well, you can say, you know what, I don't like that kind of God. Well, it doesn't matter. What you think doesn't change a thing. Fear God. Many of us are so disrespectful to God. We walk around and saying and thinking, you know, I know what's good for me. I know what God says, but I know what's good for me. Really? Then why are our lives so screwed up? Why are marriages falling apart at a faster rate? Friendships on the rocks. Kids messed up and defiant. Business investments going south. If we're so good and we're all knowing so, and we're all so sure we know what's the best for us. You know, many believe we can say anything we want to God. You know, you could yell at him because, you know, things, you know, things aren't going your way. I'm going to start yelling at him, you know. What's he going to do? I mean, really, what's God going to do? 
You're not going to hurt me. Jesus is the lamb. What a calming image. He's so cuddly, docile. Well, I'm going to break your bubble this morning because when people in Scripture have come into the presence of God, he's anything but docile. He is anything but cuddly. They had to tie a rope around the priest's leg when he went into the Holy of Holies because there had been times when that priest got into the presence of God and it was so amazing and glorious and powerful, they died. And the only way they could get them out was with the rope and pull them out. It's the truth. They tied a rope so they could pull them out. Listen to what John said when he saw him in his few glory, right out of Revelation. He goes, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. He passed out. The sight was too much for him to handle. It was too much to comprehend. You know, many in the Christian community have downplayed some of the unpleasant things that God has done. It's like we're embarrassed. And tell me if you haven't thought this. Well, you know, our God really isn't like the God of the Old Testament. You know, that God's from 4,000 years ago. That's not the God of today. Hmm, really? Then why does Scripture say I'm the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow? Oh, people say, well, you know, when you read in the Bible the fear of God, it doesn't really mean fear. No, no, it, it, it's a good fear. Really? Okay, and the fear of God's Scriptures, the word fear, it's derived from the Hebrew word, which actually means fear, <laughs> terror, dread. Although many Christian teachers will downplay the fear of God and use replacement words such as respect, reverence, honor, the Hebrew Bible is clear. Listen to what God says from Jeremiah. Look at all that he's saying, to, should you not fear me? <laughs> should you not tremble in my presence? Friends, we're talking about a God who created the universe and breathed life into each and every living creature, including us. Science today, as you know, they're still struggling. They're discovering new things. We're trying to figure this whole thing out. The same God who created all this is also the same God who wiped out all life on this planet, except for a handful of people. Remember the flood, don't you? People died real deaths. Families watched their loved ones be carried away by rushing water. Parents watched their kids drown. This is the same God, Moses, that told Pharaoh of Egypt, the most powerful ruler on the planet. We all know the line, let my people go. And when he refused, God sent an angel of death and took the lives of every firstborn in Egypt. Parents woke up. Can you imagine? They woke up that next morning with dead kids. Scripture says there was moaning and gnashing of teeth everywhere. What about Sodom and Gomorrah? It had not one redeeming value. He destroyed it from heaven. Probably like a meteor or something hit it. And can I tell you the stories in Scripture? They go on and on and on and on and on. How about Job? <laughs> I believe this to be the best description of what it, what it means to have, to be fearful of God. And if this doesn't put a little something into you, I, I don't know what will. This is what Job said, Job 23. I think I got an NIV, NIV translation, so it might be a little different than what you're going to see on the screen. But he says he stands alone. This is Job saying, he goes, who can oppose him? 
He does whatever he pleases. He carries out his decree against me and many such plans he still has in store. This is why I'm terrified before him. When I think of all this, I fear him. God has made my heart faint because the Almighty has terrified me. He's, he's, he scares me. You see, friends, some of us have this image of God that's really dangerous. It's that grandfatherly image of God. You know, the George Burns type, you know, the cigar, the thick glasses, you know, God's my grandfather. You know, God's just not going to let things go by and say, Paul, that's okay, and pat me on the head and go, Paulie, that's okay. Even though you didn't live for me, Paulie, and even though you took my name in vain, and even though you lived an immoral life, and even though you were filled with lust, and even though you had this rebellion, and even though at times you were abusive to your wife, hey, 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 come on in, come into heaven. It's all good. Come on in. Come on in, Paulie. Everything's cool with me. I'm your papa. That picture of God sends more people to hell than in any other picture. Yes, God is a God of love and grace. But as we just saw, he's also a God of judgment and a God who will see to it that our sins are paid for and judge us on whether or not, this is where this all comes together, whether or not we know Jesus Christ. See, what I want you to see here and why I went down these kind of terrifying stories is this. What I want you to understand is that we can't comprehend the great news, the amazing news of Jesus Christ if we first don't appreciate the fear of God. I hope you're getting what I'm saying. Without understanding this God, who is the ultimate God of heaven, the Father of everything, until we really understand who and truly is, we really can't, I mean, really grasp what Jesus did for each and every one of us. We don't have to fear any of that stuff. Without total awe, terror, dread, reverence, and respect for perfectly holy and just God, can we truly appreciate? Can you, can you truly appreciate what Jesus did for us? So look at, friends, let's get serious. Our sin brings great pain, right? It costs Jesus Christ the cross, and it'll destroy each and every one of us. That's why God does everything he can to turn us away. Stop going that way, and he'll bring conflict, he'll bring discipline. He's trying to stop us. Look at, there's no such thing as a minor sin. There isn't. Because if you're telling yourself that, and I'm just telling you as your pastor, you're lying to yourself. And the bottom line is, I think you know you are. You see, that's the destructive force of sin. You begin telling yourself, it's small, it's okay. But as you continue, tell me some of us, have we not experienced this? I have. As you continue in it, it slowly erodes your life. You can all of a sudden find yourself complaining to God about your life. God's like, well, Paul, how can I bless you when you're always so disobedient to me? See, friends, the tragedy of sin is it harms the innocent as well as the guilty. Think about it. When you sin, do things, act a certain way, anybody around you, when it's your wife, your kids, uh, grandkids, whether it's people you play golf with, tennis, when, when we act and go against God's will, it isn't just that person. Our sin affects other people. And here's the thing. I don't know if you ever thought about this. Sin separates us from God. And maybe you're sitting there going, really? How does it do that? Well, first, God may refuse to hear our prayers. That's number one. 
God may refuse to hear our prayers. Isaiah said, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. He can't hear you. He can't hear you. Second, God may hide his presence from us. Psalms 13. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long are you going to hide your face from me? Or Psalms 51. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't. And then there's the third one. God may withhold his word from us. In Amos chapter 8, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. And I love this. It's not a famine of food or thirst for water. It's a famine of hearing my words. You're not going to hear from me anymore. People, it goes on, people will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord. They're not going to find it. They're not going to find any place of encouragement. Nothing. Fourth, God may remove his wall of protection from us and those that we love. That's what Isaiah 5 says. Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I'm going to take away the hedge. How about number five? God may allow us to face the full consequence of our sinful behavior. Yikes. Romans 1. Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. You know what they did? They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the created things rather than creator. God's not condemning us. He's correcting us. I want to keep saying, God's not condemning us. He's correcting us. I mean, stop for just a moment. What's separating you from God right now? What's separating you from having the perfect relationship with him? You know, the Apostle Paul makes a statement in Romans. It's just as relevant today as it was then. And we're back to Romans 1 and verse 22. He said, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible, incorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creepy things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts. Sin's its own worst enemy. It's our own worst punishment. Today, God has removed his hedge of protection from many marriages, from many families, and from many churches, and from many nations. The trials we are facing are becoming increasingly severe. So God's people must immediately and humbly return to God and restore our relationship with him. He made a wonderful promise in Malachi 3.7. Return to me. He's telling the leaders of the world, return to me, and I'm going to return to you. I'll come back. Just turn back to me. You know, Jesus tells us what I need you to do. I need you to rebuild your lives. I want you to build them on solid ground, not on the shifting sands of our cultures. Not on that. No, no, no. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, he said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. 
The rock came down, <laughs> the rock, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, they beat against the house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on a rock. Boy, we understand that living in the desert here, don't we, about having a solid foundation under our homes, things start moving and shaking. But then Jesus says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice, it's like a foolish man. He built his house in the sand. What are you doing building your house here in Palm Desert on the sand? What are, what are, what are you doing? Well, what happened? Well, the rain came. The streets flooded. The winds blew. It fell down. I hope you can see that the ways of man have failed us. It's not real hard to do, looking around. I hope you can see that we've been led astray. So don't miss this. If you forget everything else I said this morning. The Antichrist movement is the form of a culture gone away from God. It's just gone away. It's false lies, false teachings that are out there. A life that's opposite is anti to Christ. Anti to Christ. A teaching so false and so full of lies that it's permeated the lives of not only our nation, oh, we go to look around the world, the whole world. The battle of the Antichrist and Jesus Christ, can I tell, I'm telling you, it's at hand right now. People go, when's Armageddon? Goes, it's, it's already happening. It's happening right now. It's in cultural. It's cultural Armageddon. It's the influence of influencing us, our children, your grandchildren, pulling them farther and farther away from God, leading to the end. That's what it's doing. It's the battle of God's way of life or man's way. It's all around us. It's everywhere. Our country is unraveling, yes or no? Our world is unraveling, yes or no? And why? Because we believe the lie of the world. The Antichrist says this. Remember, your self-worth and your security and your satisfaction, oh, it's all wrapped up in what you got. Remember, it's all about you. What makes you happy? What makes you feel good? You know, we largely been disobedient to the way God has told us to live. Taking his words out of context and twisting them to fit, so it'll, it'll kind of fit the lies we want to believe. You know, I mean, have you ever heard the comment of, Jesus couldn't have meant what he said there. Come on, have you asked everybody? He couldn't have meant what he said there. Because you know, that would alienate people. And I can tell you it's not politically correct. Antichrist versus Jesus Christ. The teaching of man versus the teaching of God. So as we close, how do we live in a cultural Armageddon society? How do we live in the world right now that's surrounding us here in America? I think John the Baptist said it the best. And if you let these words, it's short, and it could be a scripture verse you can memorize and learn. Because if you really grasp the depth of this, John said, he must in increase and I must decrease. I got to have more of Jesus in me and less of me. That's why I played that song, Less Like Me. We need more of God, less of me. I look at the things that God has influenced and done in my life, they're successful. I look at the things that I've done in most of my life, they're not so successful. Consider what a powerful countercultural statement that is. 
He must increase. I have to decrease. I found this. I'm going to read this to you. I found this article. It said, when Jesus is given his rightful place in our life, we can be sure that we're in the will of God and serving his purpose. Wherever we are, whatever our role in the body of Christ, however vast or insignificant our ministry for our Lord may be, when Jesus is central in every area of your life, you're bound just to say he must increase. I've got to decrease. When we can testify to this truth that I'm bidding more of him and less of me, we can be sure that each and every one of us are in the right place where God wants us to be for the, full, for the fulfilling life that he wants for each and every one of us. So I'm praying, I pray, that Jesus will shine brightly in my life when I get up every morning, that I would try to work on having him, the Holy Spirit, help me shed some of my self-centered ego and some of my pride and Really, the big thing being me focused, you know, I, I asked for that. You know, John the Baptist understood it was good for him to become less visible, okay, and for Jesus to be known more, which is the goal and focus of church at the red door. An even larger aspect, this should be the motto of every Christian, and it really should be for every church leader. Jesus should become greater and more visible, and the servant that you and me should become less and less. So to sum up the morning, what's leading us to Armageddon? A culture that is anti to God. I hope you can see how simple it is. We can be very thankful for the mercies of God that he has not punished us or our nation according to the greatness of many of the sins that we're doing right now. It's important that we continue to be faithful to our Lord and our King. And I think it's important for us to let us rejoice. Really, rejoice. I know I've been a little, did a lot of this today and maybe some stuff, but I, it's, I look forward to his return. He's coming back, okay? He's coming back. Expect him soon. Expect him soon. He's coming back. He's coming back for us because of what we're going to do right this moment, our communion. Pull out your... Communion elements. It's because of this, because of this, what this represents, because of the sacrifice that was made for each and every one of us. Can't, doesn't it make more sense now? If you, go, go ahead and open up the red one. Um, I'll see if I can find mine, pick it up. <sighs> Am I the only one that dropped it? You know, it's important for each and every one of us to, I think we can really relate to the disciples now. When they were in Jesus took the bread, remember, and he broke it. and He says, this represents my body that's going to be broken for you. You know, it's going to be broken for you and for you and 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 me. Realize how broken we really are and we can never fix ourselves. Do this always in remembrance of him. I know you know all the story. You know the story. As dinner was getting close to being finished, the Passover meal, he grabbed the cup of one of the cup of wine. It's a cup of redemption. And he goes, you know, this represents my blood 
because it's the blood of a new and everlasting covenant. It's between my Father and all of you. It's going to be there shed because it's going to be shed in my blood to redeem each and every one of you in this world that has gone so far south and so distanced from God that there's nothing that God cannot come in and heal. Do this always in remembrance of me. Jesus <laughs> is the hope of the world. Amen? And you get to be a part of it. Jesus chose you. Yeah, stop for a minute here, friends. He chose you. He chose us. Okay? The local church is the hope of the world. You're the hope of the world. To share the good news of the forgiveness and the peace and the love and the fulfillment that comes with the life walking with God, walking with Jesus and the Holy Spirit within us. Let me tell you something, and I know this isn't new, new to you. The world thinks we're crazy people. They think we're crazy. Some of those are nicer words. That was a nicer word that they think about us. But you know what? They're right. Because we're crazy for Jesus. I'm going to play this final song, and I'm, I'm sure it'll encourage you and, uh, and make you smile. And just in, it, it, let it sink down into you, really, everything that's being said on it. And then when that's finished, our, our morning's done. Okay? All right, you guys, whenever you're ready. <laughs>